And this Sunday, we actually are ending our series, our short series to the book of Ruth, the short four-chapter book of Ruth. And, um, and as we complete this story, uh, we're reminded that the, the name of this series is being brought from death to life. And so we see in this story the life that God brings Uh, So let's give our ear and our attention to the word of the Lord from Ruth chapter 4. We'll be reading the whole chapter uh, together. So if you'd like to turn with me, go ahead. Otherwise, it'll be printed on the screen above. This is God's word. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malon's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashan the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Amen. 
Let's pray together. Our good God, as we come to this seemingly very foreign text, and it is in many ways, we pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly to us from it. That as we consider your word, as we hear from you this morning, Lord, may you be pleased to change our hearts and our minds, to show us, Lord, your goodness and grace and power to save. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis wrote these famous words in an essay called The Weight of Glory. But is it true? Do you see the ignorant child in yourself? Are you too easily pleased? Or, on the other hand, do you too quickly lose hope that things could ever be better? As we wrap up our series in Ruth, we realize that this is a story with a happy ending. There's a wedding, a new baby, and a very happy grandmother. (laughs) But does it seem a little far-fetched? I mean, especially considering how badly the story started. Death and death and death. It's nice when you're reading a book or watching a movie to see how all the little pieces come together to form a good and satisfying conclusion. We like that. Even from childhood, we like that. But we also know that that's just how it works in Hollywood and in fairy tales. Or can we expect real life to actually look like this? As we consider this final chapter in Ruth together, we'll see three pieces that come together to complete the story. The land, the name, and the redeemer. The land, the name, and the redeemer. And this is what we should take away. The Lord will restore the fortunes of his people through Jesus, our redeemer. The Lord will restore the fortunes of his people through Jesus our Redeemer. So let's take a look at the first piece, the land. In the first part of this chapter, we feel the foreignness of this story. Here's Boaz going to fulfill his promise to Ruth earlier in chapter 3, accepting her marriage proposal, but first he has to deal with the closer Redeemer that he mentioned. And the whole interchange in this first 10 verses is kind of difficult uh, to really follow. Even the the Hebrew, the original text, is a little uh, complicated. Um, And it's hard for us, I think, being so far removed from their context. But a couple things can help us to understand what's going on here. When Boaz goes to the gate, this is the place where the town's official business was transacted. Um, And he was going there in order to redeem Naomi's land. But what is that about? 
Well, the land had a profound significance in Israel. It had a profound significance to God's people, the land, because God had given the land to them as their own special possession. It was part of how God was fulfilling his promise to Abraham, where he said, uh, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. The land was God's land. It was a holy land, a place where God himself would dwell with his people. It was a place of life and blessing. And each of the 12 tribes of Israel had their own allotted portion of this promised land. And each of those allotments are described in great detail, if you're curious, in the book of Joshua. You can read through. There's exact proportions given to each, each uh, tribe. The land was an inheritance. It was inheritance for God's people. And that inheritance of the land showed that they belonged to the number of Abraham's descendants and ultimately that they belonged to God himself. And so if your clan's land were to fall into the hands of someone else, some foreigner perhaps, it was as if your whole family history was cut off from God's promises like you just gave away your generational inheritance to some stranger. So God actually made specific legal provisions to his people in the book of Leviticus about how to maintain their clan's inheritance should there ever be a question of who possessed the land. So in our case, Boaz was a family member who could redeem Naomi's land. But he also knew there was another a closer relative who had the right of first refusal, so to speak. <laughs> he had the first, first chance at it. And, okay, so Boaz brings this matter to the nameless redeemer. He's not actually given a name, although he, in Hebrew he's referred to by this title, something like how we call someone Joe Blow. <laughs> and so this Joe Blow comes along, but Boaz is cunning. He mentions first the need of redemption for the land, and so Joe Blow says, sure, yeah, I'll take some more land. You know, why not? Sounds like a good deal. But then Boaz drops the bombshell, right? But there's also the matter of Ruth the Moabite. And possession of the land would pass to her descendants. Suddenly, Joe Blow, Redeemer, thinks, maybe this is not what I want to be doing. See, he's unwilling to give up so much to care for this broken family. And Boaz is like, yes, <laughs> my plan worked. <laughs> so he puts this other redeemer in many ways to shame um, and has gained the right to redeem the land and to marry Ruth. Boaz was willing to endure a great cost to himself. He was buying property. He was marrying a foreigner. He was taking on a mother-in-law but all in order not just to redeem the land with all of its spiritual significance, but to redeem the widows who had nothing without him. You see, what's really amazing about this story is that Boaz is a righteous man in a time when righteousness was scarce in Israel. Remember, this was the time of the judges. And if you've read the book of Judges, you know that the refrain in that book is, 
In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Though the land of Israel was to be a holy land, there was great wickedness that ran all throughout. I think we can relate to that. It's really not so different from today. There are great evils happening all around us. Unjust wars, fatal diseases, physical abuse, corporate greed, political corruption, school shootings. In these times, it's only realistic to believe that things aren't really going to be getting better anytime soon. It can be difficult in seasons like this to believe that God actually does have something better in store for his people. How can you even suggest that things will be better at a time like this? Don't give me fairy tales. Give it to me straight. Can you relate? Let's take a look at the second piece, the name. It's easy to read this account of Ruth kind of as like a sentimental love story. But this story isn't really about the couple that falls in love so much as the concrete acts of loving kindness, chesed, that Hebrew word that's so loaded with meaning, that Boaz and Ruth show to those in need. That's really what's happening with Boaz's decision to marry Ruth. It's a, actually a special kind of marriage that God made provision for in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, it says, if a woman's husband died in that day and age, and she was ultimately left destitute, she was dependent upon her husband for, for everything, and if she was without an heir to perpetuate the family name, well, her only hope would be to remarry. And so God made provision for this in saying that the brothers of the deceased husband were to marry the widow left behind and so continue their brother's name through legitimate offspring. This, again, highlights some of the cultural uh, distance between Ruth's context and ours. The name of a clan and of a given family in Israel was a big deal. You see, God's promise to Abraham was carried on through Isaac and through Jacob. Their lineage was the promise to be carried through. And, and not only that, God's promise in the Garden of Eden was that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the devil. In the Old Testament, genealogies, like we read in this chapter, served as an important evidence of how God was fulfilling his promise to his people. God's promise of blessing to all the nations would come through the families of Israel, specifically the tribe of Judah, from whom both Naomi and Boaz draw their lineage. So, like losing your family land, if your family name and lineage ends, it's like your family is erased from the membership rolls of God's people for the rest of time. Boaz was determined not to let this happen to Naomi. So he faithfully performed his duty to provide an heir for Naomi so that the name and lineage of her late husband Elimelech would not be lost forever. 
There's some interesting details given us in this chapter, too, about names and lineage. Uh, First, the elders at the gate pronounce this tremendous blessing upon the offspring of Boaz and Ruth's union. And they name several of Israel's honored ancestors. These are the ones who, right, all the tribes and clans come from, the women. But the main thing that I want us to see is that when Ruth gives birth to a son, the women of the town come to congratulate Naomi. Interesting. Is this Naomi's son? (laughs) I mean, they say, may he become famous throughout Israel. And perhaps a better way of translating that phrase is, may his name be renowned in Israel. Well, little did they know, their words were prophetic. As this infant son would grow to become the grandfather of a royal dynasty. And then the women of the town give this young child a name, Obed, which means servant, which is highlighting again the faithful love and service of both of his parents. But how is it that this father of kings was born in the midst of such darkness? Who would have thought a widow from Moab, of all places, would be part of such a lineage. Naomi never would have guessed. She never would have guessed that her heart would be so full after having faced such bitterness and loss. Could this really be happening? Does life really work like this? As children, we we all love the stories that end with and they lived happily ever after. We want to hear them again and again and again. (laughs) But when we grow into adults, we lose our interest in such fantasies. We let the world tell us that good things come to those who wait. We begin to believe that maybe this life is all that we have, so let's make the best of it. Maybe things will never get better. Because all the stories we seem to hear nowadays are ending in sorrow, pain, and death. Maybe you're hearing the story of Ruth this morning and thinking, yeah, right. It's pretty out of touch with reality. Are you afraid to hope for a better future? Afraid of being let down? Are you angry at the evils of today? Angry because it seems like they will never end. Where is your hope? Let's not be children playing with our mud pies. Because when the reality of God and His promises come into view, He dispels all our doubts, our fears, our anger, God shows us that even now he is restoring the fortunes of his people in Christ. And so that brings us to the third piece, the Redeemer. Interestingly, the book of Ruth is really more about Naomi than it is about Ruth. (laughs) Verse 14 says this, The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord! 
who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous, or may his name be renowned in Israel. Naomi has a redeemer in this infant son. Naomi is blessed in the place of her profound loss. Naomi has hope for the future as she takes this child into her arms. Yet there are several redeemers in this story. Joe Blow, who shows us the complete unreliability of a pretend redeemer, (laughs) kind of just in it for himself. Boaz, who is a truly faithful redeemer, sacrificing himself for the good of the poor and the widow. And even baby Obed, who redeems the hopes and fears of Naomi as the heir of her land and the future of her name among God's people. All of the story's redeemers point us to one, the one perfect redeemer, the seed of the woman that God had promised in the garden, the offspring that God promised to Abraham, the forever reigning king that God promised to David, David's greater son, Jesus. You see, Jesus is the true redeemer of God's people. He takes our bitterness and he turns it into joy. He takes our emptiness and he fills it up. He takes our death and he gives us life. And it's not a fairy tale, friends. We know these things not because we have sentimental feelings about Jesus, because he has shown us through the concrete acts of his profound loving kindness. He rode into Jerusalem on Sunday as the King of Kings, but was crucified on Friday as the servant of all. Christian, your sin, sorrow, and death will not have the final word over you. Jesus has overcome every obstacle that would cut you off from God by taking your unfaithfulness and shame upon himself and burying it in his grave once and for all. He was victorious on the other side because the third day he rose from the dead. And he did this to redeem you. He was willing to absorb the cost, to give you the hope of a heavenly land where bitterness will be no more and your joy will be complete. And even now, he gives you his own name, counting you as members of his everlasting family by faith alone. So be sure of this. God will deal with the evils of this world once and for all when Jesus comes again, not only to usher in his kingdom, but to also judge all of mankind. And so if you're here and you've not yet put your trust in Christ, he calls to you even now. Look to him as your redeemer, your only redeemer, because we all face 
trials, sorrows, and pains in this world. But only Jesus shows us that though we face a cross, he can bring us into the happy ending of his everlasting kingdom. Put your faith in him, friend. Trust in his goodness and grace, and he will bring you to a heavenly home. And so, to conclude, the Lord will restore the fortunes of his people through our Redeemer Jesus. So don't judge the end of the story from its beginning. Though pain, sin, and sorrow are still the story of today, God is ushering in a kingdom of joy, peace, and life. And that will surpass all that we have lost. So look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, your Redeemer, and he will bring you from death to life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. Our faith is often weak. Our trust is often faltering. And we need your strength to believe your promises when everything around us looks like it could, could not possibly be true. Help us, Lord, as we come to you, even today, together, that you would fill us with your Spirit, that you remind us that you are for us and never against us because of Christ, our Redeemer. We pray in his name. Amen.